I mean, you have to understand that if you really do want solidarity, then it can't just be about ha having someone help you. It's like, what are you doing to help them? What are you doing to understand what their issues are, too? And how do you involve yourself in the community? Welcome to Labor History Today. The COVID-19 pandemic and the corresponding failure at every level of government to prevent its spread dealt a devastating blow to healthcare workers. Nurses, doctors, and other medical workers faced increasingly dangerous conditions, along with employers more concerned with increasing profits than saving the lives of their patients or employees. At St. Vincent Hospital in Worcester, Massachusetts, nurses fought back against their corporate employer by organizing a strike of over 700 workers that lasted for 10 months, starting on March 8, 2021. Today's show comes to us from the real news. Contributor Gina Canellis' interviews with St. Vincent nurses comprise an oral history of a ferocious labor battle that became the longest nurses' strike in Massachusetts state history. A quick note, in the introductory voiceover, reference is made to high nurse-to-patient ratios. What was meant was low nurse-to-patient ratios. If you enjoy this report, please help The Real News continue producing radically independent news and in-depth analysis by following them and making a small donation. Details at therealnews.com donate. And don't forget to like Labor History Today and share it. Thanks so much for listening. Here's the show. On March 8th, 2021, over 700 nurses at St. Vincent's Hospital in Worcester, Massachusetts, represented by the Massachusetts Nurses Association, hit the picket line and started what would become the longest nurses' strike in the state's history. At the center of the strike at St. Vincent's Hospital, which is owned by Tenet Healthcare, a Dallas-based, investor-owned healthcare giant, were concerns about working conditions and staffing, specifically a high nurse-to-patient ratio that nurses say make it difficult to provide safe and sufficient care to every patient. This strike officially ended on January 3, 2022. The struggle continues for healthcare workers at St. Vincent and around the country, but there are many enduring lessons to learn from this historic strike. This is an oral history of the St. Vincent strike told by the people who lived it. I'm Julie Pinkham. I'm the executive director for the Massachusetts Nurses Association. I'm a registered nurse by background. Started my career out here in Worcester at UMass and uh, ended up at the Brigham and subsequently at MA. And I've been there almost uh, probably close to 30 years now. It's not just Massachusetts, it's not just St. Vincent's, it's everywhere. We're hearing the issue of nurses facing staffing issues. We have this just-in-time staffing and there's this casualization of the workforce where you want everybody sort of part-time or per diem so you can push them into a slot as you need it but not otherwise there. Whereas previously you would have a lot more full-timers which gave you the luxury of continuity at the bedside. Generally, I always find that management tends to use the word flexibility. And, you know, the, the converse of flexibility for management usually is uh, control. Uh, we want to the control of determining when and if something happens. But ultimately, it's the nurse that's taking care of the patient, and it's him or her that's licenses on the line and their decision-making. Um, and they, they really are the experts right there to know whether or not they can achieve the outcomes that they need to with the patient population based on how sick they are and how much resources they need of each other to make that happen. Um, management would 
you know, like to, to make it as slim and as, as they can because it's resources means more pay, having people staffing, you know, is more money out of their pocket. Um, but at the end of the day, it's the, it's the difference between patients doing well and not doing well. People don't go on strike because they feel like going on strike. They go on strike because they see no other opportunity to resolve the issue otherwise. It has to be a place where you feel that my capacity to change the environment doesn't exist in the building anymore. And, and that's ultimately, you know, ironically, that's the control of the employer. If the employer sets up a process where the, 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 the nurses and anybody for that matter firmly believes that there's the capacity to make change, realistic change within the building, then nobody would go outside the building. You might feel passionately about the issue. You might feel 100% right on the issue. But then you're being asked to do something that has a dramatic effect, not just on you, but your entire family. But when you make that decision, you still have to go back and you still have to think about it yourself, talk about it, how am I gonna survive, talk about the family. It's a lot of emotional you know, work to get through that place of saying something as frightening as, I'm actually walking outside the building in order to try to make this change. That's huge. The pandemic highlighted problems, but the, the problems existed well before the pandemic. So nurses would see a schedule, and schedules are often put out sometimes four or six weeks in advance, what I'm going to work the next month. And it would say how many nurses are going to be put on a shift. And there would be huge holes. So like three nurses were scheduled when there should be six. And managers will say, well, we, we staff for average daily census and we'll, we'll plug in people as we go. So they're sort of waiting to see if the census is low, then I'll only add one or whatever, assuming that I can. And then if the census is high, I'll try to do more. But then what happens? Everybody sees a schedule with holes. They have no idea. They're running around sort of in a crisis mode, waiting to see whether or not the staffing is going to be when they arrive. So it'll be per diems who maybe not have the same consistency on the unit. Maybe some nurses floated from another unit so they haven't worked there regularly. And that's the environment that nurses were left in over and over and over again. And again, if that's, that's like, well, we're trying as best we can. Well, are you? Are you really? You know, I, I find that most strikes from the employer perspective are, you know, just, I think there's a, a people get entrenched in a position that is, um, not necessarily in anybody's best interest, and then they can't talk themselves out of it. But it's the frustration, fear, um, you know, all of those emotions and uh, anger, tremendous amount of anger, I think, that, you know, this, they, they as nurses were giving, a, you know, first wave of the pandemic, no vaccine, you know, no one knew anything about it. They're changing their clothes in the basements and garages. They're taking all this risk, all called heroes, which nobody particularly was fond of. And yet, when they're trying to speak up about what they really need, nobody's listening. Uh, that, that garners a, a tremendous amount of frustration and anger. You have to give people on the front line power to have decision-making, real power, not, not just platitudes. And people after, particularly uh, folks that have been in the union for a while, understand and have lived through contracts, what's a platitude and what's real? What can I enforce? What can I actually make change? Who actually really respects me and works with me and who doesn't? And they can quickly uh, discern when somebody's just bullshitting them. And um, that's why they were standing so strong. They didn't want some piece of language that says CI dress staffing. But they look at it and they go, is that really going to make any change? And, and did I ask people to go out for something that was really relatively meaningless in the end? Just like so I could say on paper, see, we got this, but it really didn't change anything. Nobody wants to do that. You can't BS them. It just, I think, not just in this industry, I think pretty much everybody's done with that. 
I think that one thing that people should keep in mind with any of these issues and contracts is don't develop those relationships during a strike or just when you need them. Those are relationships and they're not for just a particular time. So yes, while we called upon a lot of folks that we knew, we called upon them because everybody in the bargaining unit or staff or other people already had relationships with them. And that's what's the difference. So I would say to you, if you're contemplating trying to build that at the time that you're doing a contract campaign, it's not the right attitude, right? I mean, you have to understand that if you really do want solidarity, then it can't just be about ha having someone help you. It's like, what are you doing to help them? What are you doing to understand what their issues are too? And how do you involve yourself in the community? And if that's been ongoing work, and here it has, then on those moments where your really back is up against the wall and you, and you make that reach out and you communicate with them and say, here's our situation, they will rally with you. They will rally with you. And they did here in spades. And I think that there's just been a very long relationship here of this particular hospital and the nurses here with the community in general. And there's probably some people in your bargaining unit that are more predisposed to it, that their natural inclination is to be involved in different community organizations or activities. Those are the people that you tapped into and say, you know what, can you be our person, our liaison to these groups and let us know if there's something that they need and we'll get some people down to their line or we'll get some people doing this. Later on, you know, when you never know it and you least expect it, when suddenly you go, oh my God, we have a problem. And they'll go, I remember when you were here and yeah, we care. It doesn't affect us directly, but we care. We'll do what we can to help you. You know, they know that as this transition goes and the hospitals get out back and running, there's, you know, people are like, I haven't been in the, in, in, back in in a while. What will it be like? And where will I be going? And, and the nurses, one thing as they started to work on that, just the anxiety of returning, which is normal anxiety, you know, the, the, the messaging right across the board was, we got you. It's like, don't be afraid because you're looking around at everybody you already know. There isn't a unit you would go to now where you don't know somebody who's going to make sure they have your back and that you feel comfortable. You're, you're more supported now than you have ever been before. And it's, it really is that sense of emotional support and not feeling like you're languishing on your own that gives people the comfort to go into situations that aren't always as comfortable as they'd like them to be. I hope the employers get more out of this in many ways than the nurses do. It's like, get it together, folks. Really? Really? We're three years coming into a pandemic and you've got people frustrated to the max about delivering patient care and leaving in droves. I mean, stick a fork in it, you should be done. You should be driving to the table with these, you know, and asking these folks, what do I do? And listening, God help you, listen to them. They're smart, capable, competent people who you trust with your life. Let them have part of a role in the decision-making, be respectful of them, and let them drive that aspect of it. You won't regret it. Whether it's nursing or whether it's something else, finding that place from an organic level where the members are identifying the problem and identifying the solution, and then you move the agenda from there and the strategy from there with them. I think as long as it's coming from the bottom up and it is understood and supported by the bargaining unit, you know, I mean, that's the basis for successful contracts, successful anything, right? The point of the union isn't to have, you know, some sort of a cookie cutter, this is, the, this is the language, this is how we all do it. The point of the union is to have your collective voice and have power to make changes in the way that you best see fit. It says a lot, though, about where we are, you know, where we are as a country in terms of that this is the crap that people are having to deal with in this state.
you know, I mean, not that it's right for any other state, but to see that stuff happening in Massachusetts, you're like, wow, wow. If it's like this here, and this is what people think is acceptable behavior to do, what are they doing in other places that don't have the level of density or the commitment or the support of labor movement? I'm like, that is just, it has to be a very, very deep and meaningful discussion of labor rights on a national level. Uh, our income disparity, you know, there's a lot of reasons why it exists, but certainly the, the laws and the rights and the density of the labor workforce is a tremendous piece of it. You know, we don't live in an economy. We live in a society. And if we have to always make decisions as right or wrong or important or unimportant on whether or not how it affects Wall Street or the economy, that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is how we all live together, right? And our, what we do as a group and the labor movement and how we support each other and realizing and teaching our folks that we live in a society, in communities, those values, those understandings are the ones that are the most important every time. My name is Amy Albani, um, and I'm a nurse working at the um, Progressive Care Unit at St. Vincent Hospital, and I've been there for 17 years, well, almost 18 years now. We were short of help prior to COVID, um, and then during COVID, um, we lost like about 100 of our employees to area hospitals, and for... Um, Better staffing was one of the main reasons, actually, during COVID. And they weren't being replaced. As a matter of fact, Tenant was furloughing nurses in an attempt to save money. And we desperately needed them at that time. We knew we had to do something because of all this going on. And, and my unit, after COVID, my unit got somewhat better as far as help goes. It was other areas in the hospital that were really bad. And we're a union, solidarity. So we knew we had to get better staffing because this contract was gonna go on for three years or so. So now was the time. And they were getting nowhere. The negotiation committee was getting nowhere with the hospital when it came to staffing. Um, so we decided, well, we're gonna have to push it and go for a vote. And my vote automatically was yes, because you know, you're put in a moral dilemma when you're short of help. You don't know who, which person should you see first, you know, and you know that if something happens, you're to blame, no matter what the situation. So then they had the vote, and overwhelmingly they got the vote to go ahead and go on strike. And I believe after that, the hospital had several offers that they, you know, gave to the committee that um, increased benefits, you know, fairly decent, increased wages, fairly decent, but really nothing on staffing. And so we said no, because our, our main, con you know, it's great if you get all the money in the world, but if you can't do your job and you're petrified to go in every day because you might make an error, it's not worth it. We all knew that it wasn't going to be easy, but I didn't see a different, I, I really didn't see into the, to today's date, I couldn't see a different alternative that we could have done because we had done it and it wasn't working. You know, we know a good standard of care and what that looks like. And we just kept seeing it deteriorating. And I really don't think that this is gonna be the first pandemic that we're going to go through. And so 
we have to be prepared for the next one. We have to look out for the nurses coming after us. To me, there wasn't a decision. If they weren't willing to budge, we couldn't, we had to stand up in force. I graduated from nursing school when I was 20. So, I mean, I've been, for 43 years, I've been in healthcare. And basically they, you know, you see that you try to do a lot more with less on a constant basis, whether it's supplies or the cheapness of the supplies or the oldness of the monitors and they're not really working correctly and try to work around that and, you know, um, trying to get away with less staff and, you know, kind of on the decline. And that's why right now we are having a shortage of not so much nurses, but nurses that want to work at the bedside. It's a real psychological hit being on strike. I mean, just the anxiety and the, the not knowing all the time, you know, what's, when's this going to end? I mean, you know, how am I going to pay for this? How am I going to do this? And it's just, it's constantly beating you down, beating you down. But honestly, I have very strong faith and I knew for certain that we were going to win this strike and we were going to get our jobs back. I mean, I had no question. It was just a matter of when, you know, because it was a righteous cause and we knew exactly that we were on the side of truth, what was going on inside the building. And it's, it was really, it was a spiritual um, experience as well because so many people had to kind of get out of their comfort zone and do things that they probably never would have done like at the meetings, like, you know, they were at their wits end and they would have to get up and speak and tell people things that they probably never would have wanted people to know. And, and just, it was humbling. It, it, was, it was really something being in this experience. It, it really was. And just um, the prayer, hearing people talk on the line about praying all the time was really something that I was very encouraged by. Um, because I knew that's what we needed to keep everybody from crossing that line. We needed the hope that he was going to get us there. Usually I would decide to do a letter after the hospital had written something that I felt was totally false. And I didn't want the public to have that impression of what was going on or of us. So it would get me all riled up and I would sit there and say, I gotta write a letter because I have to let people know that this isn't the case. Sometimes if it was an article that someone wrote that hadn't really been in nursing for a while and they were trying to make it seem like they had and you know that they knew everything that was going on in that hospital but they hadn't worked there in years, and when they had, it, they were part of management. So I wanted people to see that this is where this article was coming from. When you try to, you know, see who's telling the truth here, you got to, I, I tried to give them the facts about where this was coming from. We don't, don't have multi-million dollar propaganda people to write all these articles that say all these things. So we had to make sure that we at least were fighting from our line saying, no, 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 this is not how it is.
I remember picketing one afternoon and, and this girl was really down. She was really upset and she said, we're never going to win this. They, they're just too strong. They're too powerful. They've got the money. And I'm like, no, we're going we're to win this. And she said, well, okay, well, why do you think that? And I said, well, first of all, I have noticed when I'm out here now on the line that instead of me trying to get everybody's attention and say, you know, look at me, this is why we're on strike, you know, something's wrong in there if we're out here, it went from that to the cars were actually honking and we'd be talking and the cars were honking to us. And so I mentioned that to her. I said, I have noticed that. And she says, really? I really haven't noticed that. I said, okay, start right now and let's see. Let's just stand here and talk while we're picketing and just let's count how many times they actually are trying to get your attention. Like we hear you, we see you, we're with you. And it was really funny because she'd start off one, two, and, it, and towards the end, she's like, you know what? I didn't notice it, but you're right. You know, so people were getting the message. It's exhausting. It's psychologically exhausting. And plus, you're constantly covering the picket line. I mean, that was huge. It started at 6 a.m. in the morning, and you had to cover it till midnight. Every day, every weekend, every holiday, for 10 months or nine and a half plus, you know, and that's it's a daunting task. Although I have to say there was a lot of support. If you were feeling down, there was usually a lot of support on the picket line. You would meet someone that was on the up end of the roller coaster that could also pick you up, you know. So it was like therapy in a way as well. So when they brought in the replacement nurses, we knew it was just tactics they wanted to get rid of the union, period. It wasn't in good faith negotiations. They were trying to keep this as long as they could to stab us out. I do think what we did do is the length of the strike, for one thing, brought a lot of attention to this strike in the fact that there is a problem with staffing in the hospitals. And if it's not just the nurse's problem, you're going to be a patient. And if you live in that community, it's your problem. And guess what? It's not just this community. It's all over the United States and beyond. We got letters from Germany, from Ireland, supporting our strike. We are going through the same things here. I mean, it's going to make people think long and hard that this is about them, not about us. This is really about them, you know, so it, it might behoove them in the future when it happens again to really put a mouthpiece on it. My name is Carla LeBlanc. I'm a registered nurse at St. Vincent's Hospital. I work in the float pool. I became a nurse because my mother was really sick. My mother was really sick and I went back to school when I was in my 30s and became a nurse. Um, inspired by my by the you know care that was given to my mother and the care that and the and the and advocating for my mother you know and advocating for her made me realize there was something missing in nursing to some degree and when we were planning on going on strike and during the strike a lot of different people from a lot of different places on social media in the newspaper um, nurses that continue to work inside the hospital crossing the picket line um, even I think Carolyn Jackson to some extent was saying we're saying you know that it was irresponsible for us to do that irresponsible for us to do it during a pandemic it was um, you know that we're violating our oath and 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 trying to guilt us into doing 
to giving in. And my thought of that and my thought from that from the very beginning was my oath, even the Florence Nightingale oath, is to elevate nursing. And I'm not elevating nursing to take a pay raise over having better ratios. And I did what I did going on strike because I was fighting for those patients. I was fighting for better working conditions for me to take care of those patients under. And But I was fighting for those patients to get more of my time. And I, to this moment, do not have any guilt at all about what my decision was because I'm not, uh, um, you know, some martyr nun sleeping on a straw mat doing everything I can for these patients. I'm a professional and at a time like this when the baby boomers are getting older and we're in the middle of a pandemic, there's nothing more important than being able to provide people better care. So I don't feel guilty about my decision to strike. I don't feel like my oath, so to speak, is sacrificing my patients or sacrificing myself in order for a, a for-profit company to, to make more money. And I think they do it to I think they do it to um, women-led professions because that's where you can you can get them. You can guilt women into feeling that um, it's their responsibility to to do more with less. And and maybe women have always done that, but it's 2022 now, and women are professionals. Almost every woman is a working woman now, and we need to advocate for ourselves like like professional working women and that we're not just gonna we're not this isn't just a side job for me to to buy new pocketbooks I mean this is a profession and I and we should be treated seriously and and taken seriously as well as teachers and and other women-led professions when you'd see like people on social media saying um these lazy nurses or these or these bully nurses or loudmouth nurses or irresponsible and they have an oath in this. It, it was hard not to like come back at that with like anger and frustration, but you try to respond in a way that you're going to bring people back into hearing your side of the story. But you have to at some point realize that those people, you're never going to change their mind. You're not going to change somebody's mind if that's how they feel about this. People made their decision how they felt about which side of the strike, just like politics, which side of politics you're on. You're not going to win an argument with that. So sometimes you just have to like let it go and let these people let these people say what they were going to say, you know? And I think in the beginning of the strike, St. Vincent's, they had the social media right out there. They were posting, which seemed really odd. I think that's something going forward in unions that people are gonna have to think about. Like they have their own Facebook page, they have their own um, Twitter, and they were posting things like pro right to work. And we haven't had that kind of strike in the MA. We haven't had that kind of strike where the social media was so big. So that was like a, a a hill we had to climb and figure out how we were going to overcome that. And and wildly, our story of St. Vincent striking nurses like went across the country on social media to other nurses. And there's a group called the Last Pizza Party who do, do like posts about like um, nurses and unions and in healthcare. And they took our story and ran with it. And there was a number of different nurses who were like making TikTok videos, they were making Facebook posts all in favor of us. So it was almost nice to have like somebody else fighting for us so that if I was out there posting all this stuff and saying all this stuff, it would come across as very um, self-serving. But when other nurses are coming in to join our fight from all across the country, then it, it was, it, it amplified our voices.
we had our own private Facebook group and people would tell their stories or people would post pictures and then you'd see those people down the picket line. So you'd, those people would be very familiar to you. So I'm almost thinking like if other strikes, I mean, we're a small hospital relatively, but you could have a huge businesses doing strikes and bring all those people together because my story is not the same as somebody in the GI lab or somebody in the, um, you know, interventional radiology or in oncology or in the cancer center, you know, my, my story is different than them. And it's easy for the hospital to be able to separate all of us and to say, um, put us against each other and pin us against different departments and, and, you know, different groups in our own departments, like with the CNAs and the nurses, it's easy for the, um, hospital to divide people in the way that they've always done. But with social media and technology, they can't divide us so much anymore because now we have our own community. We found a way to come together in ways that the hospital can't, couldn't anticipate. And when we go back, it's gonna be a different world for us. It's gonna be a different world for us to be able to go back in there and say like, when I get a phone call to give me a report on somebody who just had surgery, I'm gonna know who that person is on the other end of the phone. And in the five, it, that I've learned in the last nine to 10 months that in the five years that I was here, didn't, I would have never come across that person. I wouldn't have recognized them in the hallway. I wouldn't have, we have such a, we built such a community and I feel like other unions could build such a community before ever having to go on strike. If we knew then what we know now about how to communicate, I almost think this strike could have been different, but we would have ended at the same result, I believe. But I think that like being able to communicate with people in a different way with this technology has changed strikes forever, I think. There wasn't a day that you didn't see somebody from another union coming down and walking the picket line. We had uh, meetings every Wednesday night um, at the Teamsters who were so generous for us to let, the, let, let us use their hall. Um, so we'd be at the Teamsters every Wednesday night. But while we were at the Teamsters, other unions would sign up to come down and cover the line while we were all in the meeting. Um, we had uh, generous donations of money, of, of gift cards, of um, food items of uh, like all like you couldn't even imagine all these things but we had donations from across the world we had donations from Europe we had donations I think from like every corner of the earth we've had letters and messages sent to us completely overwhelming of how you know I wasn't in a union before this so I didn't know that this I was kind of like blind to this and when you see how well people take care of you and how well people are thinking of you um was it was really overwhelming it was really overwhelming it was it was definitely a challenging strike and i think that we started off the strike fighting for our contract fighting for the better ratios and patient care that was the beginning of the strike it was almost like we had two strikes and then in august when we reached the agreement but they weren't going to allow nurses to go back into their positions it was almost like that was a second strike and our second strike had to do with labor rights and like workers rights so it's hard not to be motivated when your cause is so strong when your cause is to fight for patients it's hard not to stay motivated but then almost like it turned into and that was like a compassionate fight and then the second half of the strike was like an angry fight, like an angry fight. Like these nurses who've been here for 30, 40 years deserve to be there because they're the smartest ones there. They're the smartest ones there. I don't want my mom like to be taken care of by somebody who's not the smartest, most experienced one there.
I'm hoping in 20 years from now, what we're fighting for is standard and that everybody's getting it, whether you're union or not. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what I hope for, you know, that you don't need to have a union to have these things. We shouldn't have to have a union to have good health care. We shouldn't have to fight for everyday citizens having good health care, especially health care that they're paying a lot of money for. We shouldn't have to fight this hard for that. And I hope that this fight changes that to some degree because there's nobody... I mean, Tenet's one of the biggest for-profit healthcare companies there is. And if 700 small-town nurses could beat them, I think anybody can beat for-profit healthcare. I think we've proven that. I'm hoping. <laughs> David Schildmeyer, Director of Communications for the Massachusetts Nurses Association. For any union contemplating a strike, it's a, it's a momentous decision, and it's a momentous undertaking especially an open-ended strike. It was not a decision that was made within a few months. Um, ours was a two-year, a year and a half, two-year process where we did everything we could to continue to reach out to the membership to validate that this issue, that these issues were important to them and to revalidate. So that's why we had a petition in 2019, not only to show management, but to, to test the members. Will you put your name on a document that says this is an issue the staffing levels you're worth fighting for. So that's a it's it's a test. It's a test to their level of support. So when you get 70-80% signed on to that, um, that's a test. And 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 another thing is constant communication. We had a group Facebook page that we had started well before back in 2019. So there was daily uh, posting and communication, a vehicle for nurses and from in a two-way communication, a private group page to talk about what's going on at the table. And as we did that, we had a thing, a primer on strikes, which is a, a Q&A that we distributed to all the nurses repeatedly and posted on Facebook that walked through every question we've ever been asked about a strike. What happens to my health insurance? Can I be fired? Um, uh, when do I pick it? How do I pick it? Uh, anything they could possibly want to know ahead of time. And that, again, that's a tool. And then we're still walking the floors. The nurses are walking the floors with those documents, but they're asking, are you ready to strike? And all the way along, you are gauging their interests. And once we understood that they were ready, it was then and only then that we schedule a vote uh, to authorize the strike. Fortunately for the nurses at St. Vincent, those nurses, many of that leadership had been through a strike, a 49-day strike in 2000. So they could speak from experience as to what nurses should face. So it's, it, communication is key. A lot of that work, too, you, will, was public work. So whenever we did the petition, we did a press release about it. And we, when we did the, we uh, protested a furlough of nurses. We were out there in the press talking about it. When we did daily picketing, the community saw those nurses every day out there with signs saying that it's unsafe. So you're not only educating the members, but we were seeding the public with what was happening at the hospital over a long period of time. So it wasn't just out of the blue on March 8th, why are all these nurses on strike? In, in the same time, there's a third leg to that, we were working with our community organizers and our nurses were meeting with the local labor unions. They were meeting with the political. We would have a legislative delegation meeting months before we even said the word strike to inform them of where we were headed with this, what the conditions were, having nurses talk to policymakers on the state and federal and local level about the issues that the nurses were facing so that when it came time to go out on strike, the public knew what the issues were 
and that had been well informed, they weren't surprised by it. I've been talking to the media for 30 years about um, trying to make them pay attention to nursing. So I would have to cajole a Boston Globe reporter or Channel 5 to come pay attention to a, a picketing or whatever. During COVID, that all changed. Remember, people were standing on balconies, banging on pots and pans, because for the first time, the public got a rare glimpse of what nurses do. My phone never stopped ringing from 2019 through now. I'm getting a call every day from some member of the media wanting to talk to nurses, understanding the value of nursing, wanting to have nurses tell their story. That whole time, 2020 uh, into early 2021, um, the media was hearing the nurses' story, hearing the frustration, seeing the, uh, the national stories and our stories about the lack of PPE like other essential workers, were held up as heroes and also seen as victims of, of the problem, which made, when the nurses went on strike, the public understood why they were going on strike by this time. Yes, were we afraid? Yes. But what we have seen is that this was a watershed moment, uh, I think for all essential workers, to speak up and, and don't let this pass. This is a time when the public understands your value uh, all unionized workers who work for essential workers should be very outspoken at this time um, because now we have the public's attention. So now is a time where I would argue that there's no, been no better time for nurses to stand up. And the nurses have been held up as heroes across the board. Any strike is a roller coaster ride. It, it, you have great days and then, then, then the opposition does something that tries to knock you down. And throughout this strike, um, our, the employer was looking for ways to, to, to intimidate the nurses. So when they tried to take away the health insurance, when they, tr when they were stalling on, on giving them the legally uh, required COBRA subsidies, things like that, nurses didn't cross. From the beginning of the strike to the end in 10 months, maybe 20 nurses who didn't go out, who didn't stay out originally, ended up going back into that hospital. That's astounding. Very few of any nurse ever said, what we're fighting for, it's not worth it. That was the difference. That's what kept them going. To understand the impact on what a strike has on nurses, you need to understand how hospitals operate. For instance, we got very little improvements in the maternity nursing unit, but they were some of the strongest strikers. But they understood that the medical surgical floors were getting killed and they were out there for 10 months. You've got to believe that there's a relationship that develops that we're all in this together. So that when they go back, that nurse calling up from the ED, calling to that ICU, they're no longer the ICU nurse and you, hey, it's Betty or it's Jim from the ED. Remember, we, you know, they know, they know their kids. They walked with their families on a Sunday or we're at one of our rallies or events together celebrating or we're, you know, they're... The, what hospitals don't realize is what they create is a monster for them. It's no surprise that the St. Vincent nurses for years have been one of our strongest bargaining units, most effective un local unions. Why? Because they went on strike to get their first contract for 49 days. And they had built that and were able to build on that. Well, now going forward, we've got this group of nurses who, who have been through something else um, even longer and stronger. So... Um, yeah, they, there is something that, that a benefit that you get from that that goes aside from whatever you get on paper. You get a sense of solidarity and a sense of accomplishment and of your power 
that you didn't have before. Nurses are realizing that no one cares for them. The industry abandoned them. All the healthcare agencies abandoned them during the pandemic. DPH was changing its regulations on PPE on a weekly basis, lowering, and the nurses knowing that the standards they were ex expected to work under were blatantly unsafe and dangerous. So nurses realized no one is gonna take care of us in this system but us, ourselves. And how do you do that? I, I can be a loudmouth on my unit. I'll probably get fired or disciplined. Unions, and because of things like the St. Vincent nurses have showed, and that's why they're heralded as heroes across the world and across the country, because they made the fight for the right reasons. What we have now is what's been characterized in the literature as an ongoing moral injury. There are research that details this. It's called a moral injury. It first was studied about soldiers having to go into war and kill and do horrible things knowing that they're wrong. Well, for nurses going to work every day with five or six or seven patients and leaving every day knowing that you didn't know, didn't provide what those patients needed and may have harmed or hurt them or prolonged their illness or their suffering, that's a moral injury. That's not a job for a nurse. That's something they carry with them. We have millions of nurses across this country and thousands, hundreds of thousands of nurses in Massachusetts who are suffering from post-traumatic stress from what they've experienced. And what we've got to figure out is how is a society, not only for them but for all essential workers, how are we going to restructure our society to value that sacrifice? and put our money in different places, particularly in healthcare, where these corporations are making, you know, billions of dollars in profits. Tenant Healthcare made a profit during this pandemic of close to, of over $695 million between 2020 and 2021. During the strike, they made a profit of over $400 million as a corporation while forcing 600 nurses on the street for 10 months. It's not about money. It's about values and resources and where we're going to put them. More importantly is the impact it's going to have on their families and their kids. And all the, the kids who, who walk that line, when they grow up and they are adults and they get pushed around, they're going to be more willing to stand up. And they're going to go to a rally or they're going to vote in, in, for, for what they believe in. And that's a change that goes well beyond this individual action in 2021-22. It's going to last for generations. My name is Dominique Muldoon, and I'm a registered nurse at St. Vincent Hospital. I'm also co-chair of the local bargaining unit. A 10-month strike, you, you have incredibly highs and lows. I would say that it's not, you're not on an even keel at all. There would be these heartbreaking things that would happen. We went through every emotion possible during this strike, um, from elation to incredible depression to, you know, when we thought that we would have, there were several times we thought we had uh, uh, a chance to make a, a deal to get back in that building and then it didn't happen. It's like this incredibly, your hopes are so high and then they come crashing down when the, it falls through. Or Also, we had so many life events on the line. We had babies born. We had, we had deaths that happened on the line where, you know, someone's spouse had died, um, terrible diagnoses. And then we hit, you know, we had joyful events. We had the whole community come out and support us and legislators. And we held each other up 
during the low points and even during the high points, but you know, that's what it was really was um, you'd have a day where you just didn't feel like you could go on and you would go to the picket line and somebody would be talking to you and it would bring you up somehow. And um, we relied on each other a lot. We, you know, developed group chats and we had our Facebook page that we tried to try to keep it positive. Um, we, you know, post pictures of the, the, the wonderful times and inspirational moments. And that really got us through. But for me personally, I always knew that, you know, we would, we would get a settlement. I didn't know when, but that as long as we were true to our own values and our own beliefs, we would get a successful settlement. And those two beliefs were that, you know, we would get some improvements on staffing and that we would all go back into the building together. Um, nobody would lose their job. And um, so I held on to that and that became our rallying cry, really. No nurse left behind, no patient left behind. The strike office became a thing. Um, who would have thought it would become such a, like a social kind of um, environment. People would stop in there and they, you'd see, you, you met from people from all over the hospital that you didn't really know um, beforehand, you know, people in the OR don't come out to the floors, so you would have limited access, but we got to know people in the OR and people on different units from the ICU to the specialty areas um, on the picket line. And that was, it was just a great like grassroots kind of, um, you know, when they had the, the party line for the telephones um, back in the day, it was kind of like that, you know, you'd hear something from somebody from another unit and word would get out that way. One of the great things that developed throughout this strike is, um, you know, there was a favorable uh, perception from the media and the public. I think they knew that when we said something that it was true, you know, that if we said that there was not enough nurses at the bedside or that um, we weren't in the building because we didn't feel it was safe enough to be in the building, they knew that was true. Reporters would just come to the line very often. And we just had, we had our rank and file members also would, would do interviews. Um, it was kind of an organic um, kind of thing that happened. It wasn't something we planned or, you know, really trained people up for or anything. It just, you know, they would hear the same story. It didn't matter whether they were talking to, you know, Dominique Muldoon, co-chair, or, you know, rank and file member Carla LeBlanc, who's also a picket captain. Um, you know, the, it would, the story would be the same. Our stories were all the same um, about why we were on strike and, um, you know, what the issues were. And I think that that, when you have 700 nurses saying the same thing, um, it speaks to the veracity of it. You know, I think that, you know, the lesson learned here is how do you, how do you make conditions in your hospital and the work environment for a nurse is better? You know, of course, the, the pay and, you know, other pensions and health insurance, hospitals should be taking care of their healthcare workers. Um, 
in that way so that we can come to work and be healthy and do a good job. There was no playbook for this. You know, we were pretty much having to figure it out on our own kind of um, with our union um, because it was so unprecedented. You don't see 10 month strikes or see an employer that just says, yeah, we're not going to talk to you, you know, for three months. You know, you guys are on strike. We don't want to resolve this. We're just going to replace you. And we're going to go three more months and then six more months. You know, I, I don't think that happens on any kind of routine basis. This is one of the first times. And, you know, we, we had to come up with some creative things. Our leadership had to come up with some creative things to move it. And um, hopefully it reached people in a positive way. My name's Carolyn Moore. Um, I've been a nurse at St. Vincent's for 43 years. I work in the endoscopy unit right now, but I've been in several areas throughout my career. And I've been on the committee of um, our M&A committee at St. Vincent's Hospital for 20 years. When I started nursing 43 years ago, patients were up walking before they got to go home. Um, today, the acuity of the patients at the bedside are patients that used to be in the ICU, intensive care units, because of their medications, because of their conditions. A lot of um, nurses now are caring for five of these patients on telemetry units that have had invasive procedures in the cath lab or have a cardiac drip after they're recovering from a heart attack. They need closer watch, um, and that's why we were going for the um, less patients per nurse. Well, we had frequent meetings with our nurses. Um, we kept them updated the whole time. It was communication. If you do not have the communication with your, your um, fellow employees, um, you're not gonna have the backing. And these nurses told us, we will go out on strike. We don't want the staffing levels that we have now. We need better staffing. So um, we took a vote. And 89% um, of the nurses that voted, voted yes. They wanted to go out on strike over staffing. You have to have a high level of um, um, employees that want to go out on strike. You, you can't go by, well, I think I will. You know, you need to hear a definite that that's what they're going to do. We had over 800 nurses. Um, I'll just guess 820 nurses in the hospital. 700 walked out that door. That is amazing. I mean, everybody has to be on board. You're going to have a few, but you need to have a huge majority strong feelings of your strike, number one. Number two, um, you have to have community support. Um, I felt the community supported us very well. We had um, fellowship, you know, other bargaining units coming in, other unions coming in. Um, community support was huge, and um, family support was huge. Did we think we were going to be out for 10 months when we went? Absolutely not. We thought that this was a, a strong issue. We thought that it was a, the right issue um, for the community, for the nurses caring for patients, and for the patients, number one. You know, being a committee member, um, when I walk out on that picket line, I feel like part of my job is um, helping the nurses that are out there keep everybody uplifted. They're doing the right thing. We're staying strong together. St. Vincent Hospital is a community hospital. 
it is not a big business. They're turning it into a big business. They're taking the heart and soul out of that hospital. And that's what hurts so much to many of us. I grew up in Worcester. I was born, raised in Worcester. My kids were born at St. Vincent Hospital. My parents died at St. Vincent Hospital, cared very nicely. I mean, it, it's our hospital. And that's what hurts so much. That's what hurts me. I can't go somewhere else, you know? Most of us that work there have been there. We have a lot of longevity. Not many hospitals have that, you know? Nurses move from here to here, what works best for them. But most of the people at St. Vincent Hospital aren't there for money and aren't there for the glory. It's hard work there. And we're fighting a big company, tenant healthcare. They're horrible. We can use less staff, have more patients, get paid more. This is how I feel that these companies are looking at it. They're making a profit. They want the profit and they're taking it from the patient's care to make their profits. And, and it's, it's just like being a parent with a child. You know, you want the best for that child and you have to give the best that you can. And if you're a nurse at the bedside and you're not given that care, the best that you can, it's very sad, very sad. Nursing is a wonderful career. It's a great career. The reason people are leaving nursing is because number one, it's dangerous if you don't have the right staffing. And number two, it's exhausting. You know, it's a, I, I'm very proud of my profession. And that's the only way we're gonna get people back into the profession. You know, we have to stop these big businesses turning it into a for-profits when we're talking about people's lives. COVID knocked nurses right out. I mean, and, and healthcare workers. But when you have a company that's making billions of dollars and getting billions of dollars from our government, and they're sending nurses home who work in my department, a specialty area who has minimal patients because of the COVID, and we're asking to go work on a COVID floor to assist the other nurses, and they're saying, no, you can go home, and that nurse has got five COVID patients, how long do you think that nurse is going to last? So they, it's it's... Who's running the hospital that makes the difference on wh which hospital it is? So, I mean, I hope this strike opens up a lot of eyes to a lot of different areas, and especially the administrations of hospitals, and listen to what went on here, and listen to their nurses in their hospital. It's not a self-beneficial job. We're caring for people. And if we're saying we need help, then we need help. My name is Bill Leahy. I'm a registered nurse. I've been at St. Vincent's for 44 years. Um, I was one of the negotiators on the executive committee of our bargaining unit here at St. Vincent's for a number of years. As a negotiator and part of a union hierarchy is, is let them talk. You don't have to hear from me being a negotiator other than for me to inform you how the negotiations are going. That's my job to inform you as your representative, but to have you as a staff nurse, you're, you're telling a story and the emotions are coming out. That's what all the other people on the Zoom were seeing. And it was like, you know, I get goosebumps just thinking of that because that was exactly, that's what motivated them even more, 
was to hold the line to keep people's spirit up. Because your spirit goes down the longer you're out. It's like, what if, why is it taking so long? Why is it taking so long? And those, those things helped because once we could, the pandemic was, you know, we could get in with the mask on, we could at least be together and talk to each other. So it was good. My name is Leahy, uh, Irish Catholic boy brought up, I'll be a priest. Well, obviously I'm not, but I'm walking the line and being a negotiator and walking the line every day, every day, but was just to be pastoral, let them vent. I mean, I was dealing with women that were being verbally abused by their spouses to say, this can't go on much longer. You have to go back to work. You have to cross the line or get another job. So they felt just venting to another person to listen to them. Or their child got diabetes and they were worried about the insulin. What are we going to do? And Cobra and all this other. And then, you know, um, some of my nurses uh, had cancer treatments while they were out and they still came out on the line. I'm like, oh my God. I mean, those stories are never gonna get out. Well, now, just because I'm talking to you, but that wasn't out, that didn't get put out in the press. And then sometimes they came up and physically grabbed me and go, and they'd swear at me, you know, what the F are you people doing? Meaning the union is doing this. It's like, we are not doing this. We wanna settle a strike too. And then at the end of the day, after they grabbed you in anger, uh, the next day they came back and said, I'm sorry, I, I got mad at you. And I said, don't worry about it. You know, let it go. It's, it's just the peaks and the valleys of the emotions of these people that, you know. Remember one thing. We went out. We suffered financially and emotionally and psychologically and spiritually for the, the consumer of healthcare, the people of central Massachusetts. We, we took that on for you. The journalism that I grew up with was different than the journalism I'm seeing today. The Worcester newspapers, what I saw was they would come to me and ask me what was going on. And I would give them uh, uh, my, my take. And then they would go and go back in and talk to Carol and Jackson and others uh, uh, and doctors that were heads of division heads, which are bought by tenant. You, you answer to tenant. Um, and so what they're giving is they didn't go back and forth about the meat of the issue. They would just say, okay, Bill talked about this and Carolyn Jackson came back with this. Why not be more aggressive? Don't be afraid to hold the president of the United States accountable when you get up in a press conference. You know, why? I mean, that's your job. The, the thing is, I don't like the social media. I don't like the Facebook. I don't like the Twitter. And I used to say to a lot of the nurses who would go on, and they would even go on to tenants. So I go, what are you going on to that? You're only going to get yourself more upset. They have their agenda, and they're going to beat us down. And by you looking at that, is it's working. Because then every day, I would have to come back out and say, are you going to listen to their propaganda? Are you going to listen to what we have to say? But yeah, social media, it was more of a disaster from my standpoint looking at it because every day I went out there, I go, why are you doing that to yourself? Why? I, along with some others, felt this was calculated by Tennant and Carolyn Jackson. They were gonna push this all the way down the line. This clearly was to union bust. And I said this, and I said this to the local politicians that were out there too. I said, 
if we die on this hill, the St. Vincent's nurses, all labor dies with us because if we ever let them determine who will come back to work in their same positions and who won't, what where would unions go? The unions will die because you're, you're going to go out on strike knowing when you're done with your strike, you're going back to your job. And they're saying 106 or 110 of you are not going back. That was, that was just blow, blew us away. No way this is going to happen. And we need to get people out here. And we did have showings. We did have some showings on one day where I had some AFL-CIO. I had the Teamsters. I had some teachers from the Mass Teachers Association. I had some nurses from the MNA. And I was extremely upset because we needed more people out here. And I didn't see. Yeah, we had a couple of hundred. That's not enough. I wanted to fill up Summer Street across from the post office with bodies of unionism. And we didn't get it. And I see everybody just in their own little cocoon. And I don't understand, what is it going to take for the American worker? This is beyond me being an MNA nurse at St. Vincent's. It's beyond this. This is about all of us workers in this country. I mean, how far are you willing to fight for it? I mean, we can push back. Numbers matter. I'm not going to give up. I'm, that's just my stubborn nature. Even <laughs> my wife will tell you that, but I, I will continue the fight. But I don't know. I think what we need to do as nurses is to get out to the college levels to at least give our side of what unionizing health care. I'm still looking at the glasses half full. I'm just still upset that it, it took so long and maybe it wouldn't have if we had more of a showing. I was told by a physician that, you know, Bill, you can, you know, be Don Quixote and chase your windmills. And I said, you know, yeah, I can do that. But at least I won't be a Judas for 30 pieces of silver. You have a good day and walk the way. Nursing is an art. It is not science. Based on science, because we have to have anatomy, physiology, microbiology, chemistry, all that stuff in pharmacology. Yeah, we do. But it's an art of how to care for a human being. And sometimes you're blessed. And I look back and say, I've been blessed because I went into this not for money just to do the right thing to help take care of patients. So I'll be Don Quixote as I ride off chasing my windmills, I guess. <laughs> but the windmill I'm chasing is basically for the greater good of people. That's it for this week's edition of Labor History Today. Thanks this week to The Real News. It's a great source of radically independent news and in-depth analysis. Please follow them and considering making a small donation. Details at therealnews.com slash donate. And hey, if you're listening to this podcast, that means you love labor history just as much as we do. Please help more folks find the show, like it in your podcast app, pass it along. It's also really helpful if you leave a review. Labor History Today is produced by the Metro Washington Council's Union City Radio and the Kalmanovitz Initiative for Labor and the Working Poor at Georgetown University. The Labor History Today team includes Ben Blake, Patrick Dixon, Leon Fink, Sherry Lincoln, Joe McCartan, Evan Papp, Jessica Pozak, and Alan Weirdak. For Labor History Today, this has been Chris Garlock. 
Thanks so much for listening. Keep making history and see you next time.